Well, thank you, Wendy. Beautifully read. If you've been at the church for the last few weeks, you'll know that we've been doing this series looking at this story, the, the parable of the prodigal son. And uh, we've been learning, really, uh, that it's actually quite a pointed story, this story that Jesus tells. And if you remember in the first week, we said, actually, uh, it highlights that there are many, many temptations, this story, for God-fearing people. And the first temptation is actually to end up in the wrong crowd. Uh, you probably can remember that. And I said, we mustn't live in a Christian bubble. And on the second week, I said, one of the other temptations for God-fearing people is to end up going in the wrong direction, uh, away from the Father, which is either through really bad behavior or equally through really, really good behavior. You can lose the Father. And tonight, I want to continue this journey and just suggest tonight from this parable, really looking at the elder brother, that actually, one thing we have to watch in the church is that we don't end up with the wrong priorities. Now, that might all sound a bit heavy, so I'll tell you a story. I have three boys, if you don't know me. I uh, have been learning about fishing and trying to sort of, with a view to really taking them fishing, I guess. Are there any fishermen or women here tonight? There's a, there's, there, there aren't, there, I think there's not many around, I'm discovering. Anyway, so I went to this fishing shop yesterday and uh, I said to the guy, I need some tackle, explained what I was doing. He gave me some stuff, real, a bit of a rod, some hooks and all this sort of stuff. He said, you need a priest. <laughs> and I said, what on earth is a priest? He said, well, I was going, what is that? You know? He said, it's one of these. He handed me this rod and he said, um, this is what you kill the fish with. You smack it on the heads and give it its last rites. I said, how much is it? He said, 10 pounds. I said, well, I'm a priest, actually, and if I ever catch a fish, I'm just going to headbutt it. <laughs> As we look at this story tonight, I don't want to bang anyone over the head. That's not our style here at St. Saviour's. But I do want to just look at the older brother and suggest tonight, for your consideration, that he has uh, a number of wrong priorities. The first thing I want to suggest tonight is that the older brother basically puts work over relationship. The older brother puts work over relationship. And I want to just read uh, verses 25 to 27 to you. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing, so he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. We live in a phenomenally driven culture, don't we? Uh, this culture where we often work really, really long hours. It's getting worse and worse and worse. We're always contactable in the evening. And uh, even when you're at social events with people, actually, uh, there's this sense, isn't there, in which uh, everyone's checking their texts and checking their work calls and all the rest of it. And we run the risk to be like the older brother, I suggest tonight, and actually put uh, our work before our relationships. He clearly does that. And there's something quite tragic, I think, about these few verses because we've just heard, you know the story, his younger brother has gone off the rails and uh, really offended his father and it's been a situation of great grief for the family and uh, suddenly his, his, his 
uh, brothers come back. And where we find him, he's actually uh, in the fields. He's in a field working. So he's working. He's very, very dutiful, doing his father's business. Uh, But he actually doesn't know what's going on. When he comes near his house, he hears music and dancing, thinks, what on earth is going on here? And uh, he calls one of the servants and asks, what's going on? And the servant said, look, your younger brother's come back home. Your dad's throwing this amazing party. And there's something slightly tragic, I think, about the older brother here. The, The sort of alarm bells are starting to ring because actually here he is, very dutiful, Uh, very um, um, sincerely working very, very hard. But actually, A, he's very isolated. B, he's actually really out of touch. He he doesn't know what's going on with his community or even with his close family. He has no idea his younger brother's come back. And he he doesn't even know uh, what his father's throwing a party. A servant has to tell him what's happening. Something quite tragic about that. And yet... This is a real risk for all of us, isn't it? As we work, as we do all this stuff, I've had a number of conversations with people saying, you know, it's so, so um, busy. I don't know how to juggle my life. And uh, we can probably relate to the older son. Of course, the context of this parable, as we've seen, it actually starts at the beginning of Luke chapter 15, And the context is that Jesus is hanging out with a whole load of people. They're referred to in the Bible as sinners. These are unbelievers, irreligious people. They're not holy people. They're not following God's laws. And uh, over here, we have a whole load of the other people who are listening to Jesus, uh, the Pharisees. These are the religious leaders of the day. They are uh, following God's law. They're taking God's law really, really seriously. And Jesus tells this story and two other stories because they've said to him, uh, why on earth, Jesus, are you sitting with unbelievers, with sinners? You're eating with them. You're spending time with them. What on earth are you doing? You say you're the Messiah. You say you're God. But it's absolutely ridiculous. And in this story, we've heard over the weeks, haven't we, that the, 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 the elder son in the story represents the Pharisees. The younger son in this story represents the so-called sinners. And the father in the story represents God. So in this story, Jesus kind of responds, doesn't he? He tells three stories. The first is about a shepherd who loses a sheep. The second about a woman who loses a coin. And the third is about her father who loses a son. And uh, he's effectively saying to the Pharisees, look, guys... I'm spending time with these people because I'm into relationship. I'm into connecting with people. You're so religious. You're so dutiful. You're so busy doing all of God's stuff. You've lost his heartbeat. And you're you're not even seeing people anymore. So you feel the pressure of this story start to build. It's quite a tense story, Jesus tells And I ask you tonight, very, very simply as we begin, are you putting work in priority to relationship? It's one of modern life's great, great hazards. And we are the most affluent, uh, the most technically savvy, the most um, uh, economically rich we've ever been. But if you ask people today, what's the big problem of your life? They'll say, yeah, I just feel lonely. 
I just feel lonely. I look good, I've got a good salary, but actually I just feel lonely because I'm working all the time. So uh, the oldest son I'm suggesting tonight had his priorities wrong. He put his work in priority to his relationships. He was estranged, really, from his family. He was working so hard. And I, I know there are many people who are estranged from their families from working really, really hard. They don't really even know what their children are up to, what their children are struggling with, what their spouses are doing. And um, this is a warning in this story for us. So I want to suggest tonight, if you're sitting there thinking, oh my gosh, yes, this whole balanced work relationship thing is out of whack, I urge you to just review your relationships, review how you're spending your time, and make changes to how you're living your life. Because, uh, as someone once said to me many years ago, Mike, you know, you won't be uh, about to die and think, oh, I wish I spent more time in the office. It's just not what you think, is it? And I'm not being down on work. Work is a gift of God. I like work myself. I, you know, I think it's good. But we've just got to watch this balance. So practically what you can do, well... The real rub of putting work over relationships is that basically this elder son has lost touch with his father. And this is the whole point. He's working so hard, he's no longer in touch with his heavenly father. He's working, 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 but has no intimacy with his father. He doesn't even know his father's throwing a massive party, probably the biggest party he'll ever throw in his life, in his whole family. The biggest event that's ever happened in his family, or the second biggest, he doesn't even know about and uh, we can often, can't we, in the church actually be working all the time, doing our Christian duty, that we actually lose contact uh, with our Father in heaven. So I guess I'm asking you tonight, you know, are you connected with your Father? Are you intimate with your Father in heaven? Or are you putting your work, your busyness in priority to him, not just your family, but also to him with your faith? And if you uh, are, I just encourage you to stop to review, to make some changes. You might say to me, hey, well, Mike, Mike, I'm just so busy, you don't understand. You know, it's all very well you saying that. I, you know, I, I've just got to get up and work all the time. Well, why not try this? This is a starting point. We'll start low. Can you spare five minutes every day? Okay, this is what I do. At least once a day, five minutes. Father, you get the point. I won't do five minutes. Have you got five? You know, most people haven't. Most people haven't got five for their father in heaven, and the elder son didn't. There's a quiet day I want to uh, advertise in the church. This is a weekend, actually, not a day in November. Uh, Sarah and David Thompson are leading it or facilitating it. I just really encourage you to go away, if you can, and spend some time just reflecting on your life and where you've got to. So that's the first thing I'm suggesting. The second priority I want to suggest tonight that the older brother has uh, slightly wrong is that he puts self-pity over joy. He puts self-pity uh, over joy. And uh, this is verses 28 to 30. The older brother became angry. He refused to go in, so his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered, look, father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you. 
I've never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. And what you see there is a joyless, self-pitying response. And I had a friend in New Zealand, and uh, I did have one, I promise. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, I said to him one day, I said, um, hey, how are you? He said, brilliant. I thought, oh. I said, well, you know, what's going on? What's happening? Why, why are you so brilliant? He said, I'm alive. I've never forgotten it. It was so full of joy. And, you know, it's very, very easy, isn't it, in our culture to end up feeling full of self-pity, isn't it? Uh, you know, even before you've eaten your Weetabix, you can start thinking, oh, my, my life this, my life that. If you anything, like, oh, I don't have this, and well, this day's going to be awful, and everyone else is all fine, and I don't have enough money, and, you know. We all do it, don't we? We all do it. And uh, I want to encourage you to opt for joy rather than self-pity. And, you know, I read an article on consumerism many years ago. I've never forgotten it, but it basically went like this. Look, for consumerism to work, everyone has to feel hard done by. Because then they feel hard done by, a bit depressed, and then they go and buy stuff that they don't really want or need. That was kind of the thing in the article. But you've, you, we've all done it, haven't we? We, we? we can all relate to that. And I think in Surrey, in, in, in lovely Surrey, there's quite a pressure, isn't there, to have the right clothes. What is it that... You know, I, I won't name brands, just in case you're wearing them tonight. Um, <laughs> crew clothing. You know, there, there's all this pressure, isn't there, to look good, to... And if you don't, you can actually feel quite discouraged, like the older brother. He is miserable. I kind of understand his sense of injustice. His younger brother's taken uh, his third share of the estate. He's gone off. He's had this wild life, and now he's back. And uh, let's just track this a little bit. He's full of self-pity and anger. He says to his father, look, all these years. Now, that's an absolute no-no in that culture of the time. Absolute no-no. In the ancient Near East, it still is today, there's a patriarchal culture. You never spoke to the father of the family like that. It's more offensive or as offensive as his younger brother saying, Oi, Dad, just give me the money. I'm off. So he actually, in his self-pity, offends his father. All these years I've been slaving for you. And there's that lack of joy, isn't there? This work in the fields. It's not been fun. It's just been a, it's been a duty. And uh, really, uh, this language of slave speaks of sort of fear-based compliance. It's joyless. It's just a sort of fear thing, and uh, there's no fun in it. No, no, no uh, dignity in it. All these years I've been slaving for you. I've never disobeyed your orders. So in his self-pity, he's also sort of perfectionistic. He's got this whole performance thing going on. He's counting the sort of doing the maths. His real problem, actually, is that he has no assurance of his father's love. That's his real problem, no trust. And uh, you see that here. You never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. And uh, he has no assurance. He's feeling sorry for himself. 
He thinks he has to do this slaving, perfectionistic thing. And that leads him actually to become very judgmental and superior and critical. And he does that with his brother. But when this son of yours, he doesn't even say my brother, this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, come home, you kill the fattened calf for him. Just self-piteous. There's, there's no joy. It's no, oh, dad, I can't believe your son is back. Dad, I can't believe we're going to be together as a family. I know it's been a mess. I, I know it's been uh, just a complete nightmare. I know he's made mistakes, but he's back. Let's go and party, dancing and music. He's just outside the party. No joy. None at all. And you know, as Christians, you know, with this cultural thing going on of you've got to have this, you've got to have that, and you can feel like you don't have this and that, and then you do the comparison thing, and everyone does, but you don't, you can end up in a place of great bitterness and just sort of resentment. It's, it's hidden. It's hidden. Remember, the older son looked good, but actually his heart is just full of all this resentment and bitterness. It's one of the dangerous things for us, actually, as we follow God. We can, we can actually uh, be like the older son and uh, see our Christian journey as just a duty. We're slaving for God. And uh, the real thing is, you know, we can often feel God's let us down or we have no assurance of God's love. Uh, and it's a real nightmare that we can end up with. And of course, Jesus is saying to the Pharisees, isn't he? You know, guys, you're really criticizing me for hanging out with all these people who don't even know God. These people whose lives are a mess, who are broken like the younger son. You're criticizing me. It's a problem. But your attitudes are wrong. You're superior. You're judgmental. You're critical, you're angry, you're bitter, and you have no joy or grace. And I encourage you to think about the levels of joy in your life. Because as a Christian, you know, it's not just materially, but with God we can end up feeling angry and disappointed, can't we? Why haven't you answered that prayer? And why haven't you done that? Have you ever had that reaction? What are you doing? <laughs> I have. <laughs> yeah, well, let's not go there. Um, but you can end up joyless. And I had this, I told you a couple of weeks ago, I ended up uh, like an older son. Uh, my wife and I, Bex, we'd asked, been asked by God to go and plant a church in New Zealand. We went uh, five years uh, in. I was standing in a little room at the basement of the church where I used to go and pray because no one, no one knew I went there and so I, I could just go and pray. I had tears streaming down my face. And I was going, oh Lord, I've turned into the elder son. Uh, this church we planted, I've been working 60, 80 hour weeks. Uh, I feel resentful, I feel angry and it's just a nightmare. Is that you? Have you lost your joy? Be honest. What I don't see in the church often is lots of joy. And this is a problem because actually we want to be a joyous community, don't we? 
And just for you personally, I don't know about you, I don't want to live my life and just sort of get to the end full of grumbling and groaning and sort of, this wasn't right, this was, and then just cop it. I, I just don't want to, I'd, I'd rather get hit on, a, hit on the head by a priest tomorrow. <laughs> so check your joy thing, and I'm asking you tonight, have you gone for self-pity uh, over joy. And if you've got joyless in your life, what can you do? Well, I, I spoke to a spiritual director at that time, this great woman I used to see, and she said, Mike, keep a gratitude diary. That's a start. You, you know, we're in recovery here. Keep a gratitude diary. I'm like, what the heck is a gratitude diary? I'm not interested. She said, just do it. Do it as a discipline. I said, well, what is it? It's probably got flowers on the front. And uh, she, <laughs> what is it? She said, Every day, write down three things that you're grateful to God for at the end of the day. Three things. I've uh, done that ever since. I now do six things, actually, uh, every day. And it's, actually, it's changed my uh, attitude. I'm far more joyous than I ever used to be. And so every night, I don't write it down. I lie in bed, and you could do this. And uh, I lie in bed, and literally every night, I'm lying in bed, but often falling asleep first, and I just go... I go to sleep. But it's really transformed me because uh, every day I, na- I, I name at least six things I'm really thankful to God for. And I have a rule with myself. I'm not allowed to repeat any from the day before because I was doing that for a number of months and I felt guilty. Um, the third wrong priority I want to suggest tonight that the uh, older brother has is he puts self-preservation over compassion. He puts self-preservation over compassion. This is the last few verses. It might take a while to, uh, to, to get this, but he's, it says this. My son, the father said, you're always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. Uh, he was lost and is found. During the uh, Vietnam War in America in the 60s, there was a family who had two brothers, and the youngest brother went off to fight in the American Marines for America against the Vietnamese, the Viet Cong. And uh, a few months passed, and they got the dreaded letter. And uh, this letter came and said, we're really, really sorry to tell you, but your younger son is missing in action. And uh, the family were distraught. They basically um, did all they could to find out what had happened, where he was, you know, but he, they couldn't get anywhere uh, with the military at all. Months, you know, letters, phone calls, they couldn't get anywhere. And then one day the older brother said, I'm going to go and find him. And uh, he flew to the war zone and um, he started telling people, look, my, this is a photo of my brother, this is his name, this is his number, do you know anything about him? And uh, Word got round uh, what he was doing. He, he became known as simply the brother. And um, the American forces actually protected him, but so did the Vietnamese forces. 
because they wanted, I think there was a sense in which all the soldiers kind of thought, you know, if we go missing, we really want someone to come looking for us. And uh, remarkable story, he, at times, both the American and the Vietnamese worked together to protect him. It's an extraordinary story. There's a real sting in this tale that Jesus tells. And he's saying, look to the Pharisees, why on earth are you criticizing me from hanging around with these people? And um, as I said, Jesus tells three stories, doesn't he? The first is about this shepherd who has 100 sheep. He loses one. He leaves the 99. He searches for the other. He brings it back with great rejoicing. Second story is a woman. She loses a coin. She has 10. She loses one. She spends the day searching, searching, searching for it. And um, finds it, throws this party. And then the third story is about this, this young son. He's very rude to his father. He makes really awful choices. And off he goes. He's completely lost. Who goes looking for him? No one. So the Pharisees would have heard this story. They would know, as Jesus did in telling this story, that actually there's another well-known story in the Bible, Cain and Abel, about an older brother and a younger brother. And in that story, the older brother asks, am I my brother's keeper? And he's told, yes, you are. You need to look out for him. So in telling this story... Jesus is also saying to the Pharisees, look, guys, for goodness sake, you are getting annoyed with me because I'm going and searching for people who don't know God. That's what I'm doing. He actually says, Jesus, I have come to seek and to save that which is lost. And he says, and you're, you're actually criticizing me for this. And whose job is it to search? the elder brothers. It's you guys. And you're just standing there, working hard, doing your duty in the resentful, superior, judgmental way, pointing fingers at all of this lot. And you are not lifting a finger. And the truth of the matter is, is that the older son in this story, it would be good if we had time to unpack it, but we don't tonight. He just puts himself first. The whole thing is, he, he, he puts himself first. Self-preservation, he doesn't want to change anything. He just wants to work, get his thing from God, and forget everyone else, quite frankly. And Jesus, in telling this story, uh, challenges the Pharisees in a very, very deep way. This younger brother ends up in trouble. I, I've got five sisters. One of them ended up in trouble uh, many years ago, and I went to search for her. This younger brother needs someone to search for him, and he ends up with a Pharisee of a brother, for goodness sake. And there's a real poignancy in this story because Jesus 
is appealing to the Pharisees to change their ways. He's appealing to them to stop being outside in the fields, having this hissy fit, and actually come and join the party. The chilling thing is, the story's left hanging. We don't know ever in the story Jesus told whether the older son will join the party. And we know time has told what happened. They killed Jesus. And they don't join the party. And they don't go in search. And what's remarkable about this appeal is that Jesus is saying to them, guys, you're criticizing me. I'm actually doing what you should be doing. And in so doing, I am the true elder brother. Because I'm searching for people. And you don't want to do that because it's going to cost you stuff. It will change the status quo. I'm going to lay down my life for the search. I'm going to lay down my life for these people at your hands. Because God has a heart for them. And I've come to seek and to save that which was lost. I love all my people. And on the cross, I'm going to die so that they might be forgiven. So that this work of transformation might begin in their life. And that they might have a relationship with God. And there's a real rub in this story, isn't there? (laughs) Because it just does ask us, doesn't it? Who are you searching for? Who am I searching for? Because it's very, very easy to have this gaggle sort of Christianity thing here. Do all sorts of Christian stuff, which is good. Work really, really hard, which is good. But actually really forget what we're here for. Which is to seek and to save those who are lost. What's the greatest commission? Go into the world, Jesus said. Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. In other words, be the true elder brother, church, and look, and go, and it is costly, and it will cost you everything. And being a Christian isn't for the faint-hearted. It's not for uh, the dabblers. Actually, I want you to lay down your life as I've laid down mine and go and search for people. And one way you can do that, of course, is to invite some people to the Life Course Supper. It's not the only way. The life course isn't everything, but it's an opportunity for you to be elder brothers, true elder brothers, to go in search of all your friends, all your families, all the people you know who don't know Christ, and to invite them to a wonderful party, which is what this kingdom of God is all about. If you relate to the elder son, if you think, you know what, flipping it, I have put work over relationships. Flipping it, I do feel sorry for myself more than I feel joyful. Flipping it, 
I've gone for self-preservation over compassion for other people. What can you do? Well, you do what the elder son is invited to, which is come back to the father and join his party. It's very simple. Join the party. Find joy. Hear the music. Hear the dancing of God's love, God's grace, God's kindness, God's transformation, God's redemption, and all he wants to do in leading you into greater life. Let's stand together. We're going to sing a couple of songs of worship. Then we're going to have a time uh, for ministry where we can stand in the presence of God and seek to uh, encounter God uh, through his spirit. It's the spirit that sends out the uh, old brother in us, isn't it? It's the spirit who fires the mission we're talking about.